Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. Officials today announced an end-of-the-month plan to move their embassy back to Ukraine's capital of Kyiv. And a group of representatives just finished up an unannounced trip to the region. The group led by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is the first official congressional delegation to have visited Ukraine following Russia's invasion. Congress this week is working on spending another $30 billion to assist Ukraine. This is in addition to the $14 billion they already spent in March. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi met with Poland's president today, wrapping up an unannounced weekend trip to Europe. She's the highest-ranking U.S. government official to visit war-torn Ukraine since the invasion began. And so our commitment is to be there for you until the fight is done. I am thankful for this, first of all, for this signal of powerful support of Ukraine, powerful support of the United States. That's Zelensky's message to the first official U.S. congressional delegation to have visited Ukraine following Russia's invasion. Congressman Adam Schiff was part of that delegation. Uh, if Russia can get away with this, this naked aggression, this invasion of their neighbor, uh, you know, what's uh, to make us think they'll stop uh, with Ukraine? But will Russia get away with this? A head official at the U.S. Embassy hinting today that the war could be turning a corner. I would say the message to Russia is you failed. Uh, Ukraine is still standing, the government is still functioning, and we're going back to Lviv first and then Kiev to help the government. She announced their plans to move the U.S. Embassy back to Ukraine's capital by the end of this month. Other Western countries have already moved their embassies back to Kiev. The U.S. diplomat says it's ramping up assistance to Ukraine and neighboring countries. Just to note that we are significantly increasing what we're providing right now. Uh, there have been, uh, we have given uh, howitzers recently, which are quite uh, powerful weapons, and over half of what we have uh, uh, told Ukraine we would give them are already in the country. Congress already approved $14 billion in emergency aid to Ukraine in March and is now working on another $33 billion package. Melina, how's that money for Ukraine coming along in Congress, and what's the timetable for them to send that money over? Well, Steve, sending this Ukraine aid is something that has gained bipartisan support, so it is likely to pass. But one of the roadblocks that we're seeing here is whether or not to tack on 10 to $20 billion more for COVID response. This is something that the White House wants Congress to do. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has supported this effort. Some other Democrats have supported this effort. But Republicans are threatening to block this Ukraine money if it includes that 10 to $20 billion more for COVID aid. And one of those reasons is because... Uh, Senate Republicans want to force a vote in the Senate to extend Title 42. So these are some of the details that the Senate is working out right now, and we could expect a vote later this week, but it's more likely to come next week or even later. Steve, back to you. NTD's Melina Wisecup reporting. Nearly five and a half million people have fled Ukraine, and the First Lady will visit some of the refugees this weekend on Mother's Day. She'll meet with Ukrainian mothers and children in Romania and Slovakia both countries which share borders with the war-torn country. And to assess Speaker Pelosi's trip and the U.S.'s involvement in the Ukraine-Russia war, our next guest is Ohio candidate for U.S. Senate, former Marine Corps veteran and former Ohio State Treasurer Josh Mendel. Josh Mendel, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. Good to be on. 
Josh, Nancy Pelosi visited Ukraine over the weekend. Some say she should have invited some of her Republican colleagues to show more bipartisan support for Ukraine. Others say it was a backup plan to potentially take away attention in case there was a gaffe at the White House Correspondents' Dinner uh, with the president. In, in either case, uh, what's your assessment of her trip? I think she's just hyper-partisan. You know, there's so many issues in Washington that are automatically part partisan issues. Uh, but, you know, supporting Ukraine does not have to be one of those. You know, I'm, I'm coming at you from Cleveland, Ohio. Here in Cleveland, it's one of the uh, largest Ukrainian-American communities anywhere in, in the country. And I have a lot of friends here in the community who have family and other friends back in Ukraine. And, you know, what Putin is doing, slaughtering innocent women and children, targeting apartment buildings that have no military or tactical purpose whatsoever. Um, it's uh, it's something that I think, you know, both Republicans and Democrats, you know, should be outraged by. And, uh, you know, I don't think we should be putting boots on the ground over there by any stretch. Um, but, you know, the support that conservatives have been behind in sending, you know, stingers and Avengers and missiles, Patriots and other types of uh, weapon systems, defense systems, you know, I think is appropriate and, and measured and, and, and something we should support. When it comes to the aid that we're sending to Ukraine, do you think there should be more transparency when it comes to dollars committed and to give the American people kind of where the line is and how far we're willing to go? I think there should be total transparency. I come at it from two perspectives. You know, one is a Marine Corps vet who did my small part, did a couple tours in Anbar Province, Iraq. But I also come at it from the perspective as a state treasurer of Ohio who led the charge nationally on uh, transparency and shining sunlight on government spending. Uh, here in Ohio, I took the entire state of Ohio's checkbook and I put it on the Internet. Everything from two bucks for a pack of pencils to millions of dollars for road contracts. I said the taxpayers have a right to know how the tax money is being spent. And I put it all online. I created a website called OhioCheckbook.com and uh, brought transparency, exactly what we need in Washington. Josh, you're in the midst of a fascinating race for Senate in Ohio. How are you feeling going into your primary on Tuesday? Uh, we're going to win tomorrow. I'm confident we're going to win tomorrow. And I look forward to working with President Trump uh, in the general election to beat the Democrats, beat Tim Ryan, and uh, advance the Trump America First agenda. Josh Mendel, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Twitter has suspended and removed Mike Lindell again, less than a day after the MyPillow CEO set up a new account. Lindell rejoined Twitter on Sunday and amassed 20,000 followers within minutes, only to be removed from the platform a short time later. Lindell is a loyal supporter of former President Trump. He was permanently banned from Twitter in January 2021 for his efforts to expose election irregularities. Twitter said Lindell's new account was suspended because it violated the permanent ban. Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas has been taking heat over the crisis on the southern border. Another issue he is drawing criticism from is creating what some are calling a Ministry of Truth, a reference to the same ministry in the Orwellian classic 1984. He took to Fox News Sunday to try and explain. This is a working group that takes best practices to make sure that in addressing disinformation that presents a threat to the homeland, does our work does not infringe on free speech. Some critics are asking if the introduction to this new working group, as the secretary calls it, was prompted by the takeover of Twitter by billionaire Elon Musk. To break it down earlier, we sat down with pastor and author 
Lucas Miles. Pastor Lucas Miles, thank you so much for joining us in the Capitol Report. Good to be here. Now, I just want to ask you, what do you think has the Democrats so riled up about Elon Musk's uh, Twitter takeover? This guy, he's not an ideologue. If anything, over the years, he's, he's leaned uh, closer to the left. Yeah, I mean, he's admitted supporting you know, Obama, especially in his first term. Uh, I, I think that what they we're seeing with their concern about Musk is he can't, he can't be bought, is what it appears. You know, and I think that always makes people on the left nervous when they have somebody who thinks for themselves, who doesn't necessarily just get in line on every single issue. And even though he probably has some left of center views for maybe some conservatives, uh, he still is very much pro-freedom and pro-freedom of speech. And I think that makes the left nervous. And so it'll be, it's going to be interesting how to see how this comes out because, you know, Musk, obviously, he's, he's uh, uh, sort of a wild card. You don't really know what he's going to do next. And I think he likes it that way. Now, Senate Democrats are talking about uh, hauling him in uh, to, you know, for a hearing to question him in front of uh, Congress. What do you think they're trying to achieve uh, by doing this? I mean, what's interesting, first of all, is that, you know, they, they weren't hauling in, you know, uh, uh, previous social media figures or at least for hauling these guys in when they're, you know, kicking off Americans off of a platform, but allowing, say, North Korea or, you know, Putin to remain or whatever that is. And so I, I think that what we're seeing here is this double standard that exists on the left, that they continue uh, uh, to, you know, really just push policies that are going to benefit them and benefit their narrative and really restrict freedom of speech. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see if Musk, you know, complies with this, if he shows up, if he's willing. Uh, you know, I, I don't see the guy being afraid of a, of a stage or a platform to share his perspective. Uh, but I think they have it's, it's going to be uh, just very interesting waters, you know, that they're waiting in right now. Now, the Biden administration has just announced that they're going to be establishing this disinformation board. Some say that it could be in reaction to uh, the Twitter takeover by Musk and fears that, you know, information is going to start flowing freely again. Um, Governor DeSantis of Florida said that he is going to do everything he can to prevent this. What power or what do you think state level officials can do? It's one of the great things about America is that we have state power. And I think that as long as, you know, there's elements of our Constitution that are still allowed to play out in this country, states have the right to, uh, you know, be able to take certain stands on this. And obviously DeSantis has had no problem, you know, enforcing his own rights within the limits of law, you know, to be able to do so. It is interesting, the timing of this, when you see how, you know, the, the start of sort of this, this disinformation uh, board, what's being called this Ministry of Truth, and compared to, you know, uh, what we saw in the Third Reich and other, you know, uh, um, you know, dictatorships in the past, the timing of this with the takeover of, of Twitter, I think is very suspect. Um, but I think Americans have the right to be concerned about this. And, and I think that this is something we have to watch closely. And, and there's really no place for this left or right. You know, uh, the, the, best, the best thing for, uh, um, you know, freedom of speech is the free market, is the free press. And, uh, and, and you know, there's always going to be opinions out there that, that maybe have more weight than others. But I think this is where, you know, it puts the onus back on the American people to think for themselves and do their homework. So what has you most concerned about this? You just said that it didn't matter if it was the left or the right. So you're saying if the Republicans established something, you'd be equally against it? Yeah, 100%. I, I don't think that, you know, it is the place of the government to, you know, control the propaganda. I mean, it's one thing to have, a, a you know, a PR team, you know, to be able to put messaging out there and those things. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is actually controlling and regulating, you know, in theory, uh, I mean, this is under the Department of Homeland Security, in theory, what the American people's ability is to share stories or news. And, and now that they don't have, you know, a place like Twitter in their back pocket, I think they're now looking to do this on a policy level, which I think is even more dangerous than what we saw with, with big tech. Do you think that it's uh, too far to say that 
this could be the uh, entry point for communism, or is it a slippery slope? I think we've been on the slippery slope for socialism in this country uh, for some time. I think that you know critical theory has allowed to take root in our schools. It's in you know we see corporations like Disney and Netflix that have embraced elements of this. And I think that uh, you know we we I mean this is this is a, a culture war like we've never had before. I mean Reagan said it best. You know every every generation has to defeat socialism or communism, and we're we're in that fight right now ourselves. Pastor Lucas Miles, thank you. Thank you. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.